Hello. I want to just get right into things. Happy New Year. I am so glad that you are here. And I believe that the Lord is going to talk to us today because he desires communicating with us on multiple levels. And one way he uses it is in church. And so I expect to hear from the Lord today. And I want to just pray before we get into this. And then we're going to just kind of go full steam ahead. Father, we love you and we commit this time to you. And I just pray in Jesus name that the words that come forth are from your spirit. And I pray in Jesus name that we will not leave this place the way we came in. Lord, that we will leave more like you with revelation and insight and wisdom from your spirit. Lord, and you are the only one that can do that. So we just surrender ourselves to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the title today is Jesus, Power to Change. And that's kind of the theme going forth is power to change. But I think sometimes when we hear the word change, um, some of us may cringe a little bit. We're not real excited about change. Sometimes we don't see that we need any change or maybe change... um, seems to intimidate us. Um, We may also think that the change that needs to come about is impossible. And so change is not always uh, a word of, oh, embrace change and go forth. And yet sometimes we want to see change. Uh, At the last election for our nation, the big word was change. And that we can change. And so people were looking for change. And so sometimes we desire, as a, as a people, or just in our human nature, we desire things to change. Especially if we are in a situation in our lives that is painful, or hurtful, or physically very taxing. We desire to have change. So what needs to change in your life? What needs to change? I want to ask you that question. What needs to change? Is there a marriage situation that needs to change? Is there um, a relationship that needs to change? Is there a work situation or a financial state that you're in that needs to change? Is, is there an emotional issue in your life that needs to change? Um, physical health that needs to change? We are now in 2012, and you do realize this is the year that the world is going to end. We've seen probably several movies about that, about how 2012, that's it. There's all these numerical reasons and all that stuff of why it's going to be this year. It also may be the year that Jesus comes back. We don't know, and the funny thing about it is Jesus doesn't know either. Only God the Father knows that, so I'm not going to get too caught up and too concerned about that because he says, occupy until I come, until I return. So I want to occupy here, and yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to his return. I cannot wait to go to heaven. Cannot wait to be in his presence and see him face to face and be known uh, as I am known. I want to know him fully. But until that happens, I'm going to hang out here, and I'm going to have life to the full. I'm going to live life to the full because that's what Jesus came to bring me. He came to bring me life and life more abundantly. 
And so I want to present that to you today. Change for life more abundantly. Even though we are in 2012, Scripture says that we're in a race. So it doesn't matter what year it is. And I've seen several years, <laughs> I've seen several of those little balls drop in Times Square now. And um, that doesn't mean I'm old. I've just seen several. That's all that that means. Anyway, um, I was talking to some friends this week and saying, it's so weird how my kids are getting really old, but I'm not. That's so weird how that happens. Anyway, so we're in a race. Let's read this scripture together. And I actually have um, for the screen, if you guys don't mind putting up this scripture, Hebrews 12.1. And actually the preceding chapter before this is talking about the hall of faith. Where all of these people, saints that had gone before, had lived a life of faith. That faith was credited in credited to them as righteousness. So Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then verse two says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I want to read that verse to you in the amplified version as well. Actually, those two verses. Therefore, then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily deftly and cleverly clings to and entangles us and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. And then verse 2 says, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. So some of the important words from these verses, from both of the translation, the first was the NIV, the next was the Amplified. It says to to throw, to throw off the sin, which means to cast something, to propel by a sudden motion, and to send forth. Okay, so throw off. Then another was strip off. To pull off the covering, to take away or remove, to clear out or empty as by removing contents, to rob or plunder from the enemy. And then encumbrance, which means an unnecessary weight. And the root word there is encumber, and it means to hinder, especially with cares, to burden or weigh down. So we're supposed to strip off or throw off The sin that so cleverly entangles us and that encumbrance or that weight that weighs us down. And remember, encumber means the cares and the burdens. We're supposed to propel those off. So what encumbers you? 
What consumes a lot of your mental, emotional, and physical energy? What situation or what diagnosis or thought or analytical perspective do you play over and over and over again? Sometimes it can be as simple as a phone conversation that you play over and over and over again in your mind. Or maybe it was that phone call from the police about your child. You play it over and over again. Do these thoughts, the things that take up your mental energy, your emotional energy, your time, do they align with Scripture? What does Scripture say about our thoughts? This is reaching back into Missionette days. Philippians chapter 4, I think it's verse 8, but I could be wrong on that. Whatsoever things, and I'll get these out of order, but I'll give you the gist. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are praiseworthy and of a good report and excellent and so on, think about these things. So do the things that consume us align with Scripture, or do they bring about within us anger and resentment? Bitterness, worry, fear, anxiety, doubt, and unbelief. I want you to examine that in your, in your life now. I want you to kind of mentally examine how the week goes with the job, with the family, with the school, with the teachers, whatever your situation is with your health, how the week goes. What goes on in here and in here? There is an enemy. He has several different names. Satan, the devil, the deceiver, the accuser, all wonderful names. And you know what? He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's from John 10.10. But that second part of that verse is Jesus said, but I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full, which we talked about earlier. But the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So verse 1 of Hebrews uh, in the Amplifies, it says, and the sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. Okay, so sin Deftly, I had to look that up. I wasn't sure what that means. The sin that so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings, and clings to and entangles us. Deftly means quickly and skillfully. Cleverly means brilliantly, mentally bright, skillful, ingeniously, cunningly, and resourcefully. That is what sin does to us. Sin cleverly and ingeniously and quickly clings to us and entangles us. You know, we, we, I've talked to people throughout my years, you know, if you're trying to share Christ with them and, and they'll, 
talk about Christianity. Oh, that's just a bunch of things you can't do. That's just a bunch of rules that, you know, where you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't have any fun, you can't, you know, go there, you can't do that or whatever. And, you know, there are several reasons that God says don't sin or don't do this. You know, I believe one of those several reasons, and maybe one of the main reasons he says, don't do it, is because of what sin does to us. Did you know that sin gives the the enemy the legal right to torment you? It gives that opening that basically invites the enemy in and says, come and bring a few of your little demon friends and go ahead and come in and start tormenting me. That is what sin does. Because, see, the kingdom of darkness is very, very organized. It's very clever. It's very resourceful. It's very skillful. And it's out to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, none of those sound very good to me. And so sin is that inroad, that thing that gives us commonality with the enemy. And so when it says in Scripture, do not complain, don't grumble or complain, there's a reason for that. Because when we grumble and when we complain, we are giving an opening to the enemy, and we're basically saying, come on in here and let me fix you something to drink. And that so readily and cleverly entangles us, okay? So that commonality with the enemy, that's what we want to shut off. That is what we want to change. And, you know, I think we look at sin wrong. I think we all have a tendency to look at, well, it's not a big sin. You know, we may, may put, um, I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever you think is a really big, bad sin, uh, whether it's immorality or whether it's, you know, drunkenness or whatever you think is a big deal. And yet we tend to overlook the grumbling and the complaining and the gossip and the slander and the worry and the unbelief. And we let that slide because, well, I, I just can't, I can't help that. That's part of who I am. Or there's a reason. I have good reason. And actually, we can surround ourselves with friends and people that we can call on our phone and they will support us in, in the fact that we have every right to feel angry and bitter and resentful in our situation. And how unfair and unjustly we've been treated at work or, or by our parents or by our children or by another relationship. And we can just surround ourselves and keep ourselves in this cave of entanglement. And the Holy Spirit wants to set you free and change that. He wants to change that 
entanglement. He wants to untangle so that you can run this race and you can run and you aren't even going to get winded. You know, if I had to go out and run a mile right now, couldn't even do it. I am so out of shape, it's embarrassing, okay? But this race in the spirit, I could run mile after mile after mile if I get these weights and these entanglements off of myself. And you know what? I I just said something kind of not right. I said, if I can get these off, you know who had it has to be? Jesus. Christ within me, the hope of glory, has to untangle all of my stuff. He has to help me propel the sin that tries to cleverly wrap around. So then the kingdom of darkness has no power over the king of kings and the Lord of lords. See, we serve the risen king. We serve the one who stripped himself of all of his glory and honor in heaven. And he came as a man. Because only a man could take the place for us. Only a man could come and be the sacrifice. It couldn't be God. It had to be man. Even though Jesus was fully God, he was fully man. And so he came and lived a sinless life, went to the cross, and paid for all sin. It says, for the sins of the world. So nobody was left out. No one was left out. I wasn't left out. You were not left out. Your sins were paid for. And not only did he die, but he rose again. He rose and broke the chain and this took away the sting of death. So we, we serve, if you live for the Lord, if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ and he is your Lord and your Savior, then you serve and you live for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it doesn't matter how organized that demonic dark kingdom is. He's trumped every time by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? He's the power to change. He's the power to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. He is the key to everything. He is the way that you need. He is the truth that you need. He is the life that you need. He is the center and the supreme being. Let's take a look at Colossians 1, starting with verse 15. We're talking about Jesus here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him, 
and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus is. He is the king of glory, the light of the world, the healer, the deliverer, the all-sufficient savior, the Messiah, the anointed one, the victorious, and the name that is above every name. This year, 2012, needs to be the year of Jesus. We don't need anything else. We don't need anything else. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, I love studying different things about the Bible. I love studying about the temple. I love studying all the different books and, and, and all of the background of the Greek and the Hebrew and how it gives deeper meaning. I mean, the word of God is so fascinating because it's all Jesus. He is the word and all we need is him. All we need is him. We're going to play a a video now called That's My King. And I would just encourage you to really let it sink in today. Really let it sink in. And he purifies the meek. I want to repeat. 
He is worthy. He is worthy. That is who we live for. That is who loves you so desperately and wants to see you set free. That is who paid the price for every diagnosis that has been spoken over you. That is who comes and wants to see you set free from the pain that took place years ago in your childhood. That is who intercedes for you day and night. And longs to see you come into a relationship with him that will blow your mind away. That nothing on this earth will satisfy. No American dream can ever compare to walking with my king. Who is all that you need when you don't have a dime in your bank account. It doesn't matter. Because knowing Christ and living for him goes beyond our material needs. And yet he meets those too. Knowing my king goes beyond any disappointment in relationship or marriage or circumstance that I have come in contact with or any of my friends or any people that I have come in contact with, it goes beyond that. Knowing him and being in his presence, just like it says in Psalms, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Jesus, the year of Jesus the year of knowing my king. And I want to encourage you 
and challenge you as a church body to make this a year of a Jesus feast. We don't like the word fast, so let's call it a Jesus feast where it's all about him pretty much 24-7. Even on the job, we're saying, okay, Jesus, here I go into this place. Not my favorite place to go, but you're with me, so it's going to be great. And you're going to walk with me. You're going to help me deal with my coworkers. Thank you, Lord. I need your grace to go forth so that even though I want to knock their head off, I'm going to love them with the love, and I'm going to bless them. And you're going to change their lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that is possible? That the creator of the universe, the supreme being, the one, it says in Colossians, that holds everything together, is the one that will walk with you down the hallways of your school and will allow the light of Christ to beam forth and penetrate those around you so that they begin to desire Jesus. I want this year to be a year all about Jesus. How will you know him this year? Maybe you already know him as your healer. But maybe you need to get to know him as your all-sufficient savior. Maybe you already know him as your redeemer. But you want to get to know him as the king of glory. Through his word... He will speak. And if you're the type that goes to his word and you're like, you know, I mean, I read this thing, but whatever. Don't really get it. You keep reading it. And you ask the Holy Spirit, enlighten the eyes of my heart. That's in Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 17. It says, I pray that you will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. And it goes on to say that that power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. There's also part of that in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5. Through his word, he will speak to you. Through prayer, he will talk to you. As you give your petitions to the Lord, prayer's not just always saying, Lord, give me this, give me that. And I know we know that. 
But, you know, sometimes I think prayer can be something where we think if we fill a certain quota up of the day, then we're going to get our answer. It's almost like it's a magic formula. But you know what? Prayer is an avenue of relationship with Jesus. It's just spending time with him. Spending time that we think we don't have. Spending time with him. A Jesus feast. I began to give up some things in my life so that I could have more time with Jesus. And it's worked out quite well. (laughs) Because he's began... He's done a work in me that I I didn't expect. He has healed me of some things that I desperately needed healed from. To the extent that it's even affected my physical body. We also can know him through worship. And I don't know if any of you were here last summer. I spoke about Jesus being the light of the world. And he's also glory, his presence and his glory. And I use the verse from Malachi 4.2 where it talks about those who worshipfully fear my name. The son of righteousness, talking about Jesus, will arise with healing in his wings and his beams. So his glory is his wings. That's a whole other study of Hebrew. But the root word there is talking about the glory of Jesus. And then his light. Jesus is the light of the world. It heals. So you could spend a lot of time getting to know Jesus just by soaking in his glory and his light. And then with his light, he exposes things in there that need to be exposed. And not he doesn't just expose something and you go, oh, that's so then he starts healing it so he doesn't just reveal these things that kind of make us cringe or hurt or make us sick to our stomach he begins to heal them and takes care of them so they're not an issue for us anymore so we don't continue to operate out of that hurt from the past he heals it up only Jesus can do that And then also, to get to know him this year, we need to die to ourselves. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A Jesus feast. 2012 needs to be a year of Jesus. I'm going to tell you a quick little story that was told, um, was actually experienced by a ministry. And this particular ministry was a prison ministry. And they were just believing as a team for people to get saved healed and delivered that was so their desire and they would go in uh, into the prisons and minister and they would also hold conferences and at one of these conferences they were speaking at and, and holding after the gal got finished speaking 
they just went into worship and began to praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And after a time there, one of the gals in the team who was praying just got thrown to the ground. I mean, she felt like she was just pinned down to the ground. And she tried to look up, and as she did, she saw Jesus being brought in on the shoulders, four shoulders, I don't know if they were angels, I'm assuming they were, in a sedan chair. You know those chairs that were used to carry royalty into places, and they had, you know, poles, and there would be four people that would carry them on their shoulder, wherever they wanted to go. And she saw Jesus being carried in on this sedan chair. And when Jesus came into that room, people started getting saved, healed, and delivered. And the gal who was actually speaking at the conference had people stand who had been saved, healed, or delivered, and she said over 80% of the people there stood up. And she said, it wasn't because I was up there talking. It was because Jesus came into the room. Because he is the Savior, the healer, and the deliverer. And so immediately, she was compelled, the the leader of this ministry was compelled to put her team on a Jesus fast. And they... They wanted to, to do nothing but seek after Christ. She didn't talk about any of her other things that she usually talks about when she would go into a conference. All she'd talk about is Jesus. And they began to see miracles break out. And when she researched the sedan chair, one thing that she found out, or several things that she found out, was, you know, it was used to carry royalty. Well, That's the king of kings coming in on a chair. And those that carried the poles, they could also carry it down here. And that was difficult. It was kind of doing it, you know, you couldn't go very far by carrying the weight down here. And they were called the carrymen. And the carrymen, you know, if they were going a short distance, they would do it just down here. But for long distance, for the long haul, They had these little rings called a yoke that they would put the pole up in and place it upon the shoulder. And then their hands were free and they could go for miles carrying the royalty on the sedan chair. And what does it say in Matthew? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So now, what I took away from that, instead of me trying to carry Jesus down here and <laughs> huffing and puffing the whole time, because I get tired really fast, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm praying in the Spirit, and I'm, I'm doing warfare, and I'm like, Jesus, you know, take care of this, uh, you know, and really crying and praying hard. Now I've got him up in the yoke up here, and it's him doing the work, not me. 
I'm just kind of along for the ride. Because when Jesus becomes the main thing in your life, you know, those little things that I gave up, I do not even miss. I don't even miss. Because Jesus being the main thing makes everything else easier. He gives you wisdom and insight when before you had no clue what to do. And now I'm still on my Jesus feast. I haven't arrived yet, but as he becomes more of the main thing and I become less, I'm going to be a carryman and I'm going to walk into a place and I'm carrying Jesus. He's the focal point. He's up here where everybody can see. And I just carry him in there. And then he goes and he saves and he heals and he delivers. And I just get to watch in awe at what he can do. So the warfare, there's still a war going on. But it's changed. Because it's about Jesus doing his thing wherever he goes. Which is total love, total mercy, total acceptance, total deliverance, total healing, total, complete, full. And I'm along for the ride. And that's what I see for you. So what about Jesus do you need? What aspect of him do you need today? Do you want to be revealed to you? He is here because he lives within us when we know Christ. And so today, I want us to stand. Let's all stand together. And I want us to, not out of our efforts, but I want the Holy Spirit to do a work in us to begin a Jesus feast. Getting to know Jesus in a way that we haven't known before. You know, I love education. And I love getting to talk to people who are so brilliant in their particular field or multiple fields of, of interest and study. And it's fascinating. God has given every, you know, so many people such brilliant minds and creativity and it's just amazing. But Jesus goes beyond that. And you know, some of us have been going along and we're an expert maybe in our particular field. And that's wonderful. But have you noticed you've ever run up against some situations where it still doesn't cut it? You don't have an answer. You don't know a way around or through or over or under. We need Jesus. We need him to be the one that goes in and gives the revelation and the insight that is needed for that particular situation. You know, I believe some of you are going to be given creative thoughts and ideas for businesses 
and for things, uh, situations in your work as well. And it's going to be purely the Holy Spirit and his power, and God's going to get the glory. And you're going to get to bless the kingdom of God with the fruit of what the Holy Spirit gives us. See, we're just the vessels here for him to flow through. Okay? So what I would like us to do is I want us just to consecrate ourselves and just say, Lord, I want to know you. I want you to be the main thing. I want you to have full reign in this vessel that you have placed me in. And we're going to spend some time worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we're going to watch him do a work in this body right here. And, and as I was praying, because I pray for you guys all the time. And, and as the congregation over time, since I've lived here, there are new people, new faces that I don't know, but I still pray for you. Because God has placed Crown Point Church here for a purpose. It's for a purpose. It's not just so that we can have a nice building. And let me tell you something. You guys have a nice building. Okay? You want to come visit me in Eden Prairie, Assembly of God in Eden Prairie? It'll make you feel so excited about (laughs) the building that you're in. And I don't mean that to be me. I'm just being honest. You have a nice building and you have a nice facility. And that's wonderful. But that's not why we have church. And the reason we have church is not so we can come and hear music that we love or music that we don't love. It's not about that either. God wants us to meet together in unity and worship his name. And he is worthy no matter what song is being played and no matter what sermon is being preached. Jesus is worthy. And that's why we meet together. Because when we corporately can get into some unity, the enemy hates that. Because in unity in believers, there's power. And so Crown Point Church has a purpose. And when I was praying for you earlier, even it wasn't earlier this week, it was the week before, I believe. The Holy Spirit said the tides are turning. The tides are turning. And the Lord is going to begin to stir up within us the change that we need so that these tides of the Holy Spirit can turn. And the purpose beyond already what's been fulfilled, because you have fulfilled a wonderful purpose here. I do not diminishing any of the work and the ministry that's gone forth from this place. But there is going to be an acceleration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to start with a Jesus feast because it's going to be all about him. So let's just worship together. 
And I just encourage you as you're worshiping the Lord just to say, Lord, have your way. Have your way.